That is hometown.com. That's actually what I just pointed at is my follower goal. You stumble in here, please follow. Anyway, I've already gone through a bunch of the articles and I found some things that maybe we think uh, would be interesting to talk about. And uh, before I do, uh, let me just remind uh, if you type exclamation point showbot, you'll be able to get a link that sends you over to uh, hometown.showbot.tv. If you hit exclamation point S and then some message, I'll actually get it in my showbot and I'll be able to uh, see, read what it says. And um, so far, so good. But uh, really, this is about voting on the articles that I throw into showbot. If you find something interesting, feel free to send it to me. Um, it works kind of like this. Well, not kind of like this. Let's get into the news and I'll talk about some more stuff while we go through the news. So what I end up doing is doing exclamation point and then the URL. Um, that way you can actually go to the URLs uh, from there if you don't want to go over to hometown. I know it. It might seem a little tedious. It's not really. I mean, you'll be able to go to the links and get it. Um, or you can grab them from the uh, chat or from the VOD. Um, not so much. It's not as easy from the podcast. Um, but I guess we're all doing our best with that. Um, one of the other things that I'm trying to get people interested in is if you go over to uh, twitch.tv slash um, Waffleton Adventure Company. Um, that is a new channel that I spun up for when people are not watching, the, you know, the other people that uh, I watch too. You know, there's a bunch of people really. Nobody's on right now, really. I mean, Dan's Gaming is on. I watch him all the time. Or, um, I watch them and I watch uh, even Good Times with Scar is playing right now. I'm uh, playing Minecraft. Uh, Wonderbot is Wanderbot is playing. Um, Asta, wait, S Libra Revision. Never heard of that until today. But anyway, a um, bunch of streamers are out there, but I spun up basically a chill music stream called Waffleton Adventure Company, which has a whole lot of history behind it. Um, part of my world building for a product that is in development. Um, but it is my sand table and it is running 24 hours a day, seven days a week with some music. Chill music at the moment. Not sure what will leave it playing in the future, but it is what it is. If you want to just sit there and let some music play in the background and watch something cool on your screen. I actually have this periodically on uh, one of my big screens here in the office and it just kind of sits there and plays some cool music. In the meantime though, let's get into this. There's been a lot of talk about TikTok. TikTok has a massive engagement. Uh, people literally sit there and watch for hours uh, little snippets and long form. It's getting longer, 10 minutes, and streaming is now there. And um, But 
it's always been kind of a problem. People are saying, well, it's going to track us and it's doing this and it's doing that. And it's a security risk and all of this stuff. And frankly, it might, <laughs> might very well be, um, but nobody has really uh, come to the table with uh, ample amounts of proof. Um, I, I do have a problem um, accepting uh, certain things and um, yeah, anyway, tracking me without my authorization or giving me the option to terminate that cancellation, that, that tracking. If I have to end the relationship, so be it. Uh, but if that's the only option I have, then I guess everybody loses. I lose the benefit of using TikTok and they lose the ability to track me. I guess that's how it has to be. That's what it is with Facebook. Uh, that's what it is with everything uh, having to do with Facebook and Meta in, in, in my regard. Um, but that's mainly because they've done psychological manipulation of its users without authorization. And uh, fool me once. Shame on me. Fool me twice. Well, wait, <laughs> I pulled a bush. Fool me once. Shame on me. Fool me twice. Shame on you. Or the other way around. Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. There you go. <laughs> I always laugh because I, ever since Bush did that whole thing, I just, I've got it all mixed up in my own head. Same thing with the Rumsfeld. Uh, there are things we know and things we don't know and things we don't know we don't know and things we know we don't know. <laughs> Man. Uh, I love sayings like that. But because I joked so much about the Bush one, I got it all tied up in my own head. Living rent-free there, Bush. You're living rent-free. Anyway, TikTok denies it could be used to track human beings uh, anywhere here in the U.S. What do you think? Do you think it can track us human beings? Are human beings? TikTok denies it can be used to track U.S. citizens. In response to media report, the firm said it does not collect precise location data from U.S. users. Yeah. Precise is the key word here. See, it says precise. Collect precise. So what do you mean by precise? five feet knowing within five feet of where i am maybe that's too precise for my tastes i'm not too hip to that well i don't have tiktok installed um anymore i've i no longer am interested in it um because of this type of terminology and transparency this is very nebulous precise location data is it 10 feet is it 25 feet if it's 10 feet you know exactly where i am within a 10 foot radius of where I actually am. So it's not that hard to find out where I am. 25 feet might put me in a neighbor's house. Might. 35 feet, 50 feet. What's precise? Well, BBC, this actually started out as a BBC.UK.com um, article, but it re it redirects to bbc.com. Uh, the article is by Annabelle Lang, Liang, pardon me. And um, it says here, the firm also says it does not collect precise location data from its users. It doesn't 
It isn't going to be used to target American government, activists, political figures, or journalists. Frankly, I find that hard to believe in terms of, well, the government, the Chinese government, not being interested in what people are saying about it. I'm sure that there is a long list that is parsed regularly for relevance. The U.S. business magazine Forbes uh, wrote about this, that it was responding to a report in Forbes that data would be used to um, access and, and track users without knowledge or consent. And the U.S. business magazine, which cited documents it had seen, reported that ByteDance had started a monitoring project to investigate misconduct by current and former employees, which I think is creepy as hell. Misconduct. Yeah, there's a real uh, a cultural issue here. Um, in that you just can't say anything about bad about the government or the situation or your situation, and you don't necessarily have the ability to change your situation in many places. Um, here, even here in the States, while you can gripe and groan all about it, you may not ever have the ability. You may never gain the opportunity to change your status, your situation, where you are and what you do. You may always be bound to do just that because you can't afford a better education. You can't be retooled because the opportunity to retool for a different position isn't there. Um, and you can't tell me that there are always opportunities out there. Although the internet really does afford a great way to change direction. Um, pretty much everything. I mean, you tell me a field where it would be hard to learn about it within the context of the internet. And, uh, I would say that you start somewhere and use it as a stepping stone to get to the next thing. I mean, I'm talking everything up to and including like heart surgery. You can actually watch videos on how to do it. May not be able to do it, but you definitely can learn the basics of medicine all the way up to brain surgery. I mean, it's pretty fantastical what you can learn from the elephant. And I call, I call, uh, the internet an elephant because it never forgets. Just try to keep something from the internet. Once it's out there, it's always out there. Um, anyway, in a series of tweets, TikTok's communications team said the report lacked both rigor and journalistic integrity, and it added that Forbes chose not to include the portion of the statement that disproved the feasibility of its core allegations. TikTok does not collect precise Precise, there it is again, precise GPS location information from the U.S. users, meaning TikTok could not monitor U.S. users in the way the article suggested. We are confident in our sourcing, according to Forbes. So it goes in on to more um, context in history. Because it says, in 2020, the U.S. National Security Panel ordered ByteDance to sell TikTok's American business over concerns that users' data could be passed to the Chinese government. Not too much was made of that, by the way. How many people know that they were forced to sell their 
U.S. business. TikTok said it migrated U.S. users' information to servers in Austin-headquartered Oracle this June to address some regulatory issues. Okay, so... Really? How much interest does uh, Chinese investors have in Oracle? Meanwhile, TikTok is facing a 27 million or uh, pound or 30 million US dollar fine in the UK for failing to protect the privacy of children using the platform. But you adults, did you read the terms of use and the acceptable use policy? Probably not. Anyway, it has made more than $6.2 billion in gross revenue from in-app spending since its launch in 2017 alone according to analytics company sensor tower and that is probably low considering external resources typically have a missing context um, from its data but tiktok has disputed findings and said that they were provisional um well we'll see okay so let me do something real quick here. The article that uh, BBC was referencing and TikTok was complaining about was the Forbes article, and that's this here. I don't really link to these things, these knock-on um, URLs, but you can definitely follow them from within uh, Omtown. Just follow the link that's in chat. The next article is in the Word in Tech, and it is Amazon could pay UK shoppers 900 uh, million pounds, according to this. Whoops. Um, according to this article, a group action claim alleges Amazon breached competition law and caused customers to pay higher prices. And this is from BBC as well. A 900 million pound compensation. Uh, the proposed claim alleges the company breached competition law and caused customers to pay higher prices. And it's being led by consumer rights champion Julie Hunter, who says products sold at Amazon.co.uk and Amazon app obscured better value deals. That might be true. At one point, there was arbitrage pricing uh, wherein um, people that were perceived to have better finances could get a more expensive product. Uh, let me see. <clears throat> Sorry for the silence. <clears throat> um, Yeah, I'd, I'd have to look into it um, again. There, I re seem to recall having um, experience in it referred to as discriminatory pricing, charging different people different prices. Um, but I'll have to I'll have to look into it now. Um, so this this idea is that it could assess what you normally purchase and maybe even do uh, a check like a soft credit check to see how much you are making or public information um, there's a lot of sites out there that 
say how much you are making or what your business might be making and suddenly you're making that amount um, they're rarely correct anyway um, this article uh, by Shiona McCallum um, says the proposed claim alleges the company breached competition law and caused customers to pay higher prices and it's being led by uh, Julie Hunter uh, nine out of ten shoppers in the UK have used Amazon according to surveys and two-thirds of it use it at least once a month uh, I use it often enough to uh, have concerns that maybe I'm not getting the real deal um, I know that I am getting poor quality from some providers it's rather frustrating at times um, I I'm, I'm not a big fan of some suppliers and you don't necessarily know who it is that you are buying from until you get it. Uh, you, you have to hunt down the invoice and look at certain information behind it. I don't think it's always available until after the order is fulfilled um, or you file a return or something like that. I purchased one item once a while back and it was complete junk i mean it just wouldn't do what it said it was going to do um, quite expensive as a matter of fact and um, they refunded me and told me just to dump it and so i did um, it was a pretty expensive looking chunk of material that just never did what it was supposed to do um, but let's I'll, I'll just leave it there um, Ms. Hunter alleges Amazon uses tricks of design to manipulate consumer choice and direct customers towards the, the featured uh, offer in its buy box. I think it might be a little bit... If this were true, it would have to be more insidious than saying, hey, buy this. <laughs> I, I don't think it really... Um, at least for me, I, I don't just buy something because it's recommended. Um, I do the due diligence necessary to buy what I think is best for my requirements. It says clearly Amazon will fight the case at all stages, including class certification, but the tribunal has made a number of orders recently for similar action certifying the opt-out process. Big tech companies are well-resourced to fight. Yeah, of course. That's why you need class actions. That's why you need unions. That's why you need public exposure when it comes to some wrong. Uh, because there is no bargaining power on the consumer side other than one thing. Don't buy from them. That's it. That's the only thing you can do. But if it's just you, then you are literally peeing into the wind. You will not come out the better because at some point you'll need to make a purchase. And if it is, if what you need or want isn't available to you locally, to support a small business and you ask them um, to order something and it's three times the cost, well, you're not coming out of this the better in any way, shape or form. Well, anyway, Leslie Hanna, one of the partners at Hossfield and Co. LLP who are leading the litigation said competition laws are there to protect everyone they ensure the individual can make genuine and informed choices and are not simply led into making selections which benefit the companies they interact with. Well, it depends on the ideology and culture of the business. And a lot of businesses still think of this old school mantra of 
they have one objective and that's to make money. This next article is going to be a little bit adult in nature. It's a deep fake that put the author, a campaigner, a campaigner's face in a porn movie. Um, and so the reason why I even bring this up is because I am interested in bringing more discussion to the table about uh, reality hacking. I even have a show that I want to launch uh, called Reality Hacker, uh, wherein we talk about virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality. I've got Pico 4 coming. Um, I really hate wires and I don't like anything from Meta. Uh, Facebook. I get the two mixed up. It's Facebook, but it's really Meta, but it might be Quest or Insta. They're all Meta, which is really Facebook. Just because you have a stock named Meta doesn't make you not Facebook. <laughs> Campaigner Isaacs uh, describes the horror of seeing her face digitally edited into an adult film. We'll click the link. It takes us over to Sarah McDermott and Jess Davies over at BBC. Been a busy day for BBC. Uh, imagine if your face had been digitally edited into a porn movie without your consent and then shared on the internet. One woman reveals the horror of it happening to her. That basically is a deep fake. This is panic. Just washed over them, says Kate. And uh, speaking publicly for the first time about what happened, someone had taken their face and put it onto a porn movie and made it look like it was them. Obviously, it's not. You would have to be... Uh, well, depending on the quality, you would have to be damn near a forensics expert to catch the differences between a deep fake and the real thing. That's why they call them deep fakes. Um, I've done similar with voices. I choose not to do anything with face, although I can right now install an application. Makes it pretty simple and change my face entirely. And um, unless I do something really out of sorts you would never know except that it is it would be an outlandish version of me i would look more caricature-ish um, or i can be subtle and make something change just a little bit and uh, that could be me for all you know if i would delete all of my past videos all 300 of them now um, and uh, make me look like somebody slightly different, you would never know who I am on the streets. Yeah, this person had their face posted. So in the past, high profile celebrities and politicians were the most common targets of deep fakes. Videos weren't always porn. Some were made for comedic value, but over the years that's changed. According to cybersecurity company, Deep Trace, 96% of all deep fakes are non-consensual porn now. Like revenge porn, deepfake pornography is uh, what's known as image-based sexual abuse, an umbrella term which encompasses the taking, making, and sharing of intimate images without consent. I don't think that anybody should be able to share images of you without consent. Um, even the press, unless it's situational, directly tied to that event, I don't think that you should have the ability to use anybody's face if you're out at dinner pardon me if i well i do something if you're out at dinner and you have some schmo sit there and take a picture of you while you're eating <clears throat> 
I think it's an invasion of privacy, even if it is in public. You know, speak to a publicist and get a picture. <laughs> Who cares how I eat a pizza? I think it's scumbaggery. And again, I don't seek to be vitriolic. I don't think that that is actually vitriolic. Um, but just to assuade anybody's concern that I am, if you think I am, then come to my chat and talk with me. I think that it's rather disgusting that people use, you know, 5,000 millimeter lenses to reach out across a bay and take a picture of somebody sunbathing on an island somewhere. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So government plans for long-awaited UK-wide online safety bill will uh, have been under endless revision and repeatedly shelved. The new laws would give the regulator Ofcom the power to take action against any website deemed to be enabling harm to UK users no matter what or where they are based in the world. Earlier this month, however, Culture Secretary, which I think is an absurdly dangerous title, Michelle Donnellan said she and her team were now working flat out to ensure the bill was delivered. Anyway, Kate founded the Not Your Porn campaign in 2019. A year later, her activism contributed to the adult entertainment website Pornhub, having to take down all videos uploaded by the site by unverified users. And the majority of it was that classification of user. Why? Because they get clout but it's anonymous clout but it can be harmful clout if you if you want to upload something yeah, you better be entrusted with its disclosure there's there's nothing i mean if you're into uploading porn then upload porn that's fine but step up to the plate Nobody wants to consume illegal porn except people who, well, are skirting the law. Find a different outlet. Anyway, it was a violation. My identity was used in a way that they didn't consent to. I agree. Let's move on to the next article. Um, this is actually an older article that I'm interested in the topic of. A long time ago, I created a game that would have relied on the creation of parts using powder bed fusion. Powder bed fusion is an additive manufacturing process that uses powdered raw material. Uh, basically, an adhesive is sprayed layer after layer um, into a powder bed and layer after layer of powder and uh adhesive bond together into a 3d object and then you retract the powder bed or raise the item from its powder bed uh platen for lack of a better term and there you go you have a 3d printed solid object that's fully functional if the it called for it um and all you have to do is kind of work the powder out and then seal it or infuse it with something and it becomes a solid item pretty neat stuff at the time um, the company that I was going to use had a $65,000 printer which was the cheapest it had and so it never came into being um, 
probably because I didn't have enough marketing behind it and I'm not really the chasing after you kind of uh, person so <clears throat> I would have had to rely on other people to do the chasing marketing marketing 101 that's what it is anyway so what does it look like it looks kind of like this and this article is back from September uh, but I had been looking for articles that I thought were interesting about uh, powder bed fusion because I am still interested in this idea um, <clears throat> powder bed fusion is a high-level method for additive manufacturing or 3d printing it is quite distinct as it is suitable mostly for industrial and commercial applications. What exactly is powderbed fusion and what benefits does it have over 3D printing methods? Well, the resolution is actually pretty high. Um, and it's solid and well, depending on what it is, it's harder to be impacted by heat and water and whatever else. As it name it, it implies the BPF sorry, the PBF method relies on fusion of powdered part uh, particles of raw material. That's what it looks like right there um, to the right on the screen. Um, as a 3D printing technology is decidedly more complex than methods that use filament or resin. And for that reason, PBF uh, 3D printers are typically only used for large businesses, research or rapid prototyping, which is what I would have used it for as well as printing off the game pieces. Another central element of PBF method is the powder bed. It's basically a big reservoir. Um, they talk about different types of powder bed fusion technologies. The latest and greatest, I think, um, is selective laser sintering, which basically is high energy, um, not really melting. It's welding the parts together. Um, and then there's a bunch of others. Uh, benefits and drawbacks of powder bed fusion. There's less waste, it's flexible, it's high strength to weight ratio, good resolution, high power requirements. Um, work intensive post-processing. Uh, usually you have to sand stuff. It's similar to just regular deposition printing, FPM stuff, um, but it's harder. Um, they say that it's relatively slow and expensive, uh, but you can go and read more of the minutiae of this article over at 3dinsider.com. And again, it is an older article, but I thought I'd draw attention to it. This next article is interesting because um, it's in the word in tech channel, uh, but it's actually about music at Ed Sheeran. I had their music stolen and it, the hacker who stole the singer's unreleased music has been jailed. Adrian Kwiatkowski offered the songs in exchange for cryptocurrency on the dark web. Uh, this was on the, well, for me, it ends up being two days ago, but it actually was in the last 24 hours. Um, the hacker who stole the unreleased songs from Ed Sheeran and sold them on the dark web has been jailed for 18 months. Spurdark was an alias, I guess. An investigation was initially launched by U.S. authorities in 2019, and it came after the management of uh, several musicians reported to the New York District Attorney that someone known as Spurdark had hacked a number of accounts 
and was selling the content. The investigation linked the email address used to uh, set up Spiritarch's uh, cryptocurrency account to Kwiatkowski. His home address in the UK was also linked to an IP address used to hack one of the devices. So in the I'm a village idiot news, uh, what you do is make it easy for somebody to find you by hacking with an IP address that links you to an address that has your name attached to it so that they can pull your cryptocurrency account for which you are saying, hey, everybody send me funds via cryptocurrency and I'll give you these stolen songs. Not really the brightest, but anyway, the case was then referred to the City of London Police and Kwiatkowski was arrested in September 2019. And according to police, seven devices, including a hard drive that contained 1,263 unreleased songs by 89 artists were seized. Okay, so let's back up a little bit now. Let's hit rewind, so to speak. How the hell did they get into 89 artists' songs? Where, where is the failing here? I'm really curious about this case now. Because according to this, in August, Kwiatkowski pleaded guilty at Ipswich Magistrates Court to three charges of unauthorized access to computer material, 14 charges of selling copyrighted material, one charge of converting criminal property, and two charges of possession of criminal property. And he also admitted to receiving Bitcoin cryptocurrency for the songs. Not only did he find several artists and their production companies significant financial harm, he deprived them of the ability to release their own work. So where was all of this stolen from? And it says, we will be pursuing ill-gotten gains from these proceeds of crime. Great. But I'm really interested in how they got into the work. How did they aggregate 1,263 unreleased songs by 89 artists? Obviously, there's a weakness in the security of somebody's IP. Where is that? Let's move on to the next article. And this one is uh, Bono takes the blame for the 2014 iTunes U2 album disaster. Okay, eight years later. Uh, finally, somebody to blame. I don't know if this was discussed at the time, but everybody hated Apple. Everybody hated uh, Cook. Everybody hated so many other people. But really, looky looky, it was Bono all the while. Um, I, you know, I was miffed about it because something was done to my system without my authorization. It would have been better if everybody was just asked, hey, do you want this? And I would have said, no, I'm not a big fan of YouTube. I might listen to their music if it's on the radio, who listens to radio anymore. Uh, but I definitely don't want something being purged from my account or put on my account. Both of which is the false positive or false negative that would irritate me to no end. And it does. I hated YouTube's album on my device. Immediately, I deleted everything that I could find. <clears throat> and uh, this has happened before where uh, 1984 was purged from a Kindle device. And, uh, you know, what the hell? If the people purchased it, 
then take the hit and and leave it there and apologize to the people. Hey, this person wasn't the person that sold it. And if the person who has the rights says pay us, then do it. I think what really needs to take place is you have to verify who has the rights before you can distribute it. I know it's a shocking thing, but verify the rights. If you're particularly 1984, you know, if somebody's selling a product on your platform, then verify the rights. But Safe Harbor and strict liability and other laws may have said, okay, well, the only way to resolve this is to delete it. Totally understand that. But if the original rights holder is selling it, then pay them what it... I mean, it shouldn't be that everybody who bought it have to suffer. Now they have to go and buy it. I mean, it might have been testing the water. I can find arguments for why this shouldn't happen. But anyway... YouTube frontman Bono takes the blame for the ill-fated iTunes album giveaway of 2014. Eight years later, the an extract from um, his memoir reveals. But while Apple took heat for the endeavor, CEO Tim Cook apparently wasn't phased by the response at all. Apple CEO Tim Cook with U2 in 2014 is a picture that you'll find when you follow the link over to... Uh, Apple Insider and Malcolm Owen is the author and uh, they're sitting there going number one, number one uh, on stage, releasing the free copy of the YouTube album Songs of Innocence. Well, you're not so innocent, are you, bub? So in, in extracts from uh, Bono's memoir, Surrender, 40 Songs, One Story, published in The Guardian, The Rock Frontman uh, recounts meetings between the band and Apple executives in 2014, and in the meeting, uh, Bono spoke with manager Guy Oseri, Eddie Q, Phil Schiller, and Tim Cook, with the suggestion of a giveaway being from Bono's side of the table, um, and just want to give it away. And Tim Cook said, well, we're not a subscription company. I remember some of this uh, stuff, but at any rate, it was all uploaded to... Uh, iTunes accounts and everybody lost their mind. You know, thanks for the gift, but I should have got a pop-up that said, do you want the U2 album? Nope. No, I do not. So the next article is uh, reducing demand is the best response to OPEC's oil production cuts. See, this is called artificial scarcity. If you want to raise the price of something, then you make it exclusive. You limit who has access to it. You stop allowing people to consume. Artificial scarcity artificially props up the price and it can brush up against somebody's bulk rate where they'll just say, nah, never mind, I'll go somewhere else. Well, oil and gas, it's impossible to bulk. At some point, your car will run out of gas. You need to get gas. So the gas companies, the oil companies, the energy companies and producers all know this. So you are literally bound to them at the wallet. The only way you can get away from it is gas being no longer an issue. So you switch to, I don't know, an EV. Well, now you're bound to a cable charging your device. You now basically need a, a supercharger or 
uh, something else. But you're never going to get away from somebody charging you to recharge your car or oil companies filling your car with gas. It, it is nothing different, except now you're using a, a smattering less money, but you're using copious amounts of more time. You know, an hour to get 70%, two hours to get to 90%, three hours to get to 100%. If, you know, I don't know, it's the car. It really depends on the car and the charger, supercharger. And if somebody driving, you know, uh, dually hasn't jackknifed themselves across all of the parking spots because, well, that's the only thing they could park in without impacting the rest of the parking lot of gas users. They were just doing their best. Anyway, to increase world oil prices, OPEC and its oil producing allies announced plans earlier this month to cut crude production. The countries will soon be pumping 2 million fewer barrels per day. In the United States, leaders on both sides of the aisle are incensed. Yes, sure they are. I'm sure they are. Strong measures have been proposed, everything from retaliation against Saudi Arabia to a ban on exports of crude oil and even the rollback of environmental safeguards. I got into a discussion uh, a couple of days ago about how oil prices um, led to basically everything being wildly expensive and there are mortgage rates that are really expensive, basically the late 70s. Um, and uh, I came to the conclusion that no, I don't think really people um, quite understand what's going on in today's market. Mortgage rates are close to eight. <clears throat> uh, car prices, if you want to finance, um, are equally high. Um, the stock market is irrational exuberance of the rich betting against the rich. Bitcoin is basically right now. I think Bitcoin is predicting that there's going to be a market run on uh, Monday, so you're going to see the market jump uh, on Monday. Or people in the Bitcoin world are saying, uh, let's ramp up the price now. And when reality smacks everybody on Monday, you're going to see everybody, you're going to see Bitcoin tank. <coughs> Pardon me. Gas prices are still wavering around $3.80, but. Diesel is at $5.33, and um, mortgage rates, as I said previously, are now at 8% at the credit score of 700, which is the average around 700. I ballparked that number because nobody truly knows or cares because it, it's in tranches, you know, 700 to 720, you're paying 8% for a 30 year mortgage and you still have to put 20% down. And if you don't, then you have to pay points on something that is wildly expensive. This is not the seventies and the eighties and no people did not have 10% mortgages. Here's how it played out back in the seventies. The average price for a house <laughs> was nowhere close to where it is now. You literally could take a zero away from the average. Everybody had a $35,000 house and was making $17,000 in that was a household income, $17,000 in 1975. 
today, the average household income is somewhere around 65, but the average house is $375,000. So you do the math there. Life has gotten a little bit more expensive. Why? Because for the last 40 years, income has stalled. And even back in 75, and I'm, this is off the top of my head, by the way, I haven't looked at these numbers for a week. Um, if I recall correctly, even in 75, it was 3% less than 1974. And today's numbers, 2022 numbers, are 3% less for income. I'm talking about income. Everything else has gone up 8%. But income has stalled 3% from 2021 to 2022, reversed 3%. That's the income, folks. Now, the full range between what you are making today and what the inflationary number is, 11% because your pay stalled at 3% less than 2021. You didn't make any more money. You did not grow by 3%. Some people did. Let me, let me rephrase that. Most people did not make more money. They made more money, but they didn't grow by the same amount. That inflation has whittled away and the average income is still 3% less than the previous year. And you can go 40 years back <laughs> and find the same thing. It was 3% less than the previous, 3% less than the previous. But the producers, they have made 1500% more money since 2021. So reducing demand is the best response to OPEC's oil production cuts. Matt Casile, I'm sorry, Matt Casile, my gosh, Matt Casel, Tony Dutzik. It's an opinion contributor. They say that the views expressed are the contributor's own and not the view of the Hill. That's where this is from. But I agree with them. <laughs> so the views that they find may be mine as well. Context matters. I haven't read the whole article. I've only read a little bit, that little snippet. And the United States leaders on both sides of the aisle are incensed, right? But what are they going to do about it? The Senate is not going to do anything about it. And the House has diluted power, diluted power, not diluted. It's not, they're not delusional. They may know exactly how much power they have and it's always declining. The reason that a relatively small drop in oil production, 2 million a day is equivalent to only 2% of global oil production can have such an outsized impact on prices is because many of us feel as if we have few options to reduce the amount of oil we use. True. After all, big changes such as buying a more fuel-efficient car take time and planning. No, you can't get a more fuel-efficient car without sacrificing everything else. Everything else suffers. You can't get up a hill on a more efficient car. Why? Because it's losing horsepower. So, losing horsepower, losing torque, 
losing, losing, it's a lose, lose to move up to a more fuel efficient car. You stomp the gas on a fuel efficient car and it'll sit on a hill. <laughs> you have to get a rolling start and race your way to the bottom of the hill on the other side of the valley just to get up the hill. But most of us have more choices to reduce oil than we realize by collecting uh, by collectively making smart choices to reduce our demand, we can reduce the pain of high oil prices and take control over our energy destiny. That the problem there is that's not true. The people at home are not the problem. Industrial users of oil, industrial cor like corporations, industry, the military, they're the great consumers. Everyday Joes, not so much. Particularly nowadays, where Hopefully your employers are saying, well, you don't need to come into an office because your job is at a desk and you have a nice desk sitting at home and I'm not a twat. So I'm, I'm going to let you work from home. Yeah. Anyway, they go into much greater detail about their opinion. Uh, Matt Cassale is the director of environment campaigns for US PIRG, a public interest advocacy organization that speaks out for a healthier, safer world in which we're freer to pursue our own individual well-being. I don't know what just happened. Uh, and Common Good and Tony Dudzik is associate director and senior policy analyst for at the uh, Frontier Group, a public policy organization that provides information and ideas to build a healthier, more sustainable America. Frankly, I think everybody should have uh, wind generators uh, around the perimeter of their house because that's where wind is whipping around the house. And if you get a good efficient one, you could be making thousands of kilowatts per hour and um, take yourself off of the grid. I'm actually going to be considering that myself. Uh, four vertical wind generators. And uh, I need to look and do an assessment of the sound that is going to be generated. And if it's too loud, then it won't work. But I'll do some research and find out. Let's move on to the next article. The next article is the somebody went to the haunted Airbnb that they found in Salem, Massachusetts. Anne Matica visited the Henry Derby house in Salem, Massachusetts to see what the Airbnb was like. And the owner says it might be haunted by spirits and the home is decorated with Halloween decor. While it had an eerie feeling, Matica could see herself returning next October with friends. The Henry Derby house is well known among locals in Salem, Massachusetts as being haunted. In 2015, the owner, Phil Marchand, turned the home into an Airbnb after he and his wife had their first child. Yeah, I'm outie. Anyway, at $1,300 a night, I'm outie. Um, the author toured the haunted Airbnb in Salem that cost $1,300 a night, and they were charmed by its bright pink living room, but the feeling of ghostly presence was uncanny. Yes. Um, Anne Matica went to this house and, and Business Insider has a really great layout. I really dig it. Um, I won't go through it. I, I tell everybody who listens to this um, what I will and won't do. And I won't go through the whole thing. 
Um, but the house was built in 1838. It was named after the original owner, Henry Derby, who worked as a tailor in Salem. The house received a plaque from the Historic Salem Organization for being a historical building in town. Pretty much every building in Salem might be an historical <laughs> building. Archon said he and his wife Jocelyn spend an average of 15 to 20 hours per week running the Airbnb. The couple said business is most booming during the month of October when people book their stays a year in advance. Um, they talk about a bookshelf and some pictures, uh, lots and lots of pictures, a bright pink living room that I probably wouldn't be able to sit in very much. Uh, I'm a diver and an organization. Uh, uh, not a, a formal member, but it's called DAPS, which is divers against pink stuff. It doesn't really matter. Um, I actually really don't care about the color of a room, but it's funny just to perpetuate that. Anyway, um, so vintage furniture and dolls, that alone is what makes it spooky. Dolls just sitting there. Um, I don't know, a bunch of other stuff. Go and check it out. Would you spend $1,300 a night to spend uh, a couple of nights in Salem during Halloween? Maybe light a black candle? Uh, according to Hocus Pocus, you have to be a virgin to bring back the sisters. Anyway. Um, this next article is in the Hatch Ideas channel. Four types of people who should definitely have life insurance. Probably people who go to haunted houses. Um, according to a financial planner. I'm just going to click the link and play catch up with um, me on my soapbox today. Leah Aquino, CEPF uh, certified. And um, let's see here. Life insurance is a contract between you and an insurance company where the insurer promises to pay a beneficiary when you die. Yeah, you talking about what happens to your money after you die may seem morbid, but it's worth it. Yep. Should probably get it out of the way. I'm taking it with me. Um, so, well, I know that nobody in my family watches the show, so they have no idea that I'm planning on taking it with me. They might be listening to me. And so I'll probably get into a discussion after the show. Financial planner recommends business owners and private student loan borrowers get life insurance. How depressing is that? Let me scroll down here. People with private student loans. Pri uh, federal student loans are discharged after the borrower dies, but borrowers with private student loan debt may face different circumstances. Private student loan debt you took out on your own may be discharged without issue, though not always. Each lender's policy will differ, but private student loan debt taken out with cosigners will be passed on to... Yeah, so if you have student loans that have a cosigner, then they're going to be pushed over to the other people, even if they can't be fulfilled by you. You shouldn't have gone and died with debt, you horrible person. Because obviously, your education has perpetuated over to the people that co-signed your loan. But hey, you know, they were dumb enough to co-sign your loan. So obviously they deserve the debt that you died with. Talk about the sins of your father. Anyway, people with co-signers on their debts should also have insurance. 
business owners who want to pass down the family business to the children, everything will end up, um, well, to some degree being assessed by the state. Um, but yeah, when you die, if you don't have it enumerated in some way, um, your money, if you're not rich enough, <laughs> um, will get taken away from you to some degree. But if you're rich enough, you can fight that. You can stash it away and hide it in various places, folks. I'll move on. Even you start with a bigger carbon footprint, but that doesn't last. This is why I think that people should switch to EVs. I would just wish that EVs had the right solution for the battery issue. I think that EVs could be $15,000 cars, except for the $25,000 battery. The manufacturing and disposable, uh, disposal of electric vehicles results in more greenhouse gases than non-electric models, but that difference will eventually disappear altogether. That I don't even believe really anymore. Um, the disposal of a of a of an EV amounts to the same disposal of a combustion car in terms of everything except the battery, and more can be taken from an EV and used at a higher cost of recovery. Right? I can get more copper, I can get more aluminum, I can get more everything from an EV than from a combustion engine because the engine itself isn't easily consumed. But an EV, absolutely. I can tear that whole thing apart and take everything in it that was a conductor or insulator or anything and reuse it. And the rest of the car is the same as a regular car, if not lighter. And definitely just as much disposable as an con internal combustion vehicle. At any rate, the battery is the thing that is most toxic in an EV. Everything about an internal combustion car is toxic to the environment. From catalytic converter and... Uh, various insulation uh, to the combustion engine itself and all of the oil and all of the stuff, the gasoline, <laughs> you know, all, <laughs> pretty much everything, you know? Anyway, New York Times has this article and um, it's written by Eric A. Taub or Taub. Taub. I'm not sure how they pronounce it. The name rings familiar, but I'm not sure why. In the 19th century, major cities faced their own emissions problem, the horse manure, and, well, internal combustion cars are the horse manure of the 21st century. Not bad to bring that up. Now, battery electric vehicles, or BEVs, might as well just say BEV, might, might as well say EVs, uh, marketed as more environmentally friendly vehicular option to replace internal combustion engines. Some skeptics are pointing out that they actually have a larger carbon footprint than non-electric vehicles. That's due to the manufacturing and disposal of BEVs, specifically their batteries, which is what I said earlier. Yes, batteries have a horrible carbon footprint, but their entire reuse and reclamation later is so much better than the entirety of batteries and the maintenance, uh, not batteries, uh, internal combustions, the uh, gas, 
the gas stations, etc., etc., etc. All of this other stuff, this knock-on stuff from the creation of an internal combustion engine, all of that eclipses batteries because we can reclaim batteries a whole lot easier than everything else that was used in the lifespan of an internal combustion engine. It says here to determine the environmental costs of the trade-off, trade organizations and universities have conducted life cycle analyses or LCAs, comparisons between the amount of greenhouse gases created from the production and use of and disposal of BEV and gas, gases from gasoline-powered vehicles of a similar size. And the gases from a gasoline-powered? Why just the gases? Anyway. Though it's true that the production of a BEV causes more pollution than a gasoline-powered counterpart, this greenhouse gas emission difference is erased as the vehicle is driven. Yeah, and the internal combustion engine adds to it. Erasing the difference does not appear to take very long. In a study conducted by the University of Michigan with a grant from Ford Motor Company, the pollution equation evens out between 1.4 and 1.5 years for sedans. Take that, internal combustion engines. And I won't even go into the rest of it. Suffice it to say that if the battery issue is addressed primarily that nobody owns the battery and they can go to battery swap stations like gas stations the battery gets worn down it's no longer holding a charge it goes for reclamation they fix it they put it back into the system it doesn't get just tossed into a landfill somewhere now address tires folks find tires that do the job of basically everything that's bad about current tires we need a real solution for tires i would suggest looking at hemp tires but that's just me let's see if there's a solution there because current tires are disgusting anyway there's a whole lot more to this article um but Battery electric vehicles wipe out the carbon footprint of their creation within 1.5 years on average. You cannot say that about other vehicles. The next article is the Sigil of the Magi available on Steam Early Access. This is a game over in Tabletop Nights because it's RPG-ish in nature, but this is what I like about it. And I'm not really a turn-based strategy kind of a, a game player. Um, but uh, the publisher, uh, the in iterative collective and developer uh, Young Just Young Games have released a tactical roguelike deck builder, Sigil of the Magi, on Steam Early Access. And the Early Access version is priced at 15 bucks, uh, with a 10% discount available until October 27th, 2022. The initial release includes two factions with six champions overall and three campaign chapters. The game is expected uh, to spend six months to a year in early access before it's released. And um, it's pretty cool. Uh, I've seen some of it. Um, I went searching for this within the aggregator because I was looking for a neat game to talk about today. Um, and this definitely hits the bill. So it's kind of strategic. You um, mess around in procedurally generated maps and you knock out the opponents, but you use cards to amp up your 
um, skill set so that you can take out the enemy faster. It's pretty neat. It says the game combat, the game's combat telegraphs enemy moves, tasking players with implementing appropriate counters. Um, I think that this is pretty neat. I think you should check it out. Go over to RPG, sorry, RPGamer.com um, and read the rest of this article. Click on the um, video. It's over on YouTube as well, but I'd prefer if you go over to uh, RPGamer.com and uh, click on the video that uh, Alex Fuller uh, put together with um, the rest of the information about the game. You'll dig it. Um, and the last article for today is about Black Adam. And sometimes I just kind of get, I don't know how to put it. Something I, somebody would refer to it as triggered or whatever, but you know, I just don't, I don't like the tone of some articles because they take something way too seriously. I don't know if that's what this rises to. Um, this is in the continuity report, a, a show that I intend to launch here in January. Um, that focuses on movies and entertainment, um, like streaming, uh, TV shows and movies and other things. Um, basically anything that might have a cutaway and a return, uh, which is the embodiment of the continuity report from episode to episode or scene to scene, the continuity report embodies what the scene looks like so that you have continuity between one frame and another in either a show or a movie or whatever. Anyway, Dwayne Johnson's superhero adventure Black Adam racked up 140 million in its box office uh, debut. And um, that's at global box office. And Ticket to Paradise nears 100 million worldwide. There were people poo-pooing this idea of Ticket to Paradise being anything close to $100 million worldwide because, you know, older actors don't have the ability to rise to this level apparently. But anyway, um, the reports that Black Adam, which debuted in 76 territories and is the number one film in nearly every market outside of North America, where Black Adam also captured number one spot. This is an article by Rebecca Rubin. And I was reading another article that kind of poo-pooed Black Adam um, as <laughs> being an overstuffed hero with... Um, all kinds of messaging and uh, it played a song uh, I can't remember what it was uh, but the reference that the author wrote um, said well and I think it was the New York Times um, said oh well they played that song because you know Dwayne Johnson is Black Adam and you know Black Adam Black that's why they played that song why not just enjoy the damn movie instead of making it something more than it is? If you, you might be imposing your beliefs on this, whereas I might be imposing my lack of beliefs that this is something more than something than a great movie that has great special effects. But they're saying that it was like overwhelmed by schlock and all of this other stuff and messaging, um, about, um, not everything is absolutely right, that kind of a thing, and that kind of messaging. And I'm, well, context matters as to why something is right or wrong when somebody else perceives that it's right or wrong. I've said it before and I'll say it again. One person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter. It's all about the context of that fence, depending on which side you're on. 
Then you get into the rationale as to why this took place, and you peel back the layers of the onion, why somebody would do something, whatever it might be. And sometimes you find out that they're just a psychopath or a sociopath. Sometimes you find out that they lost every other option that they pursued and they didn't have the coping skills to find a better solution and nobody gave them the opportunity to find a better solution. There's so much more to society, but a movie isn't necessarily like that unless you choose to impose real world into something like a dude flying around in a super suit Anyway, I said it like that because of no capes. Anyway, Warner Brothers reports that Black Adam, which debuted in 76 territories and is the number one film in the nearly every market outside of North America, where Black Adam also captured the number one spot with 67 million. The top grossing markets were the United Kingdom with 6.1 million, Mexico with 5.3 million, Brazil with 4.9 million. And let's just say everybody digs a superhero film. DC, though, I don't know. I'm just not a big fan of DC stuff, but I do dig Shazam and Black Adam. And it might be because they're in the same world building, uh, but really tightly connected because of Shazam. So anyway, he's an anti-hero, Black Adam. Not necessarily what this other writer, and I, again, I think it's from, um, the times i think it's from these guys new york times that wrote it anyway i won't get into all of the minutiae of this um, but the other issue is a ticket to paradise with george clooney and julia roberts in both of those cases um, i have read things and heard things where they're saying well this isn't really going to be much because they are aging actors or something like that or they have moved on to other things and this is just one you know movie blah 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 anyway it's going to hit 100 million globally it's a huge benchmark for the genre that's otherwise been written off as dead at least in the theatrical sense yet ticket to paradise thanks to a healthy dose of star powers defying the odds with 96 million in ticket sales to date it cost 60 million to make internationally the film added 4.7 from 78 markets over the weekend boosting its tally to 80 million the top earning uh, territories include, pardon me, I don't know why they say 80 million. Anyway, Australia, UK and Ireland, Germany, all around 9.5 million average. Um, I don't know. I dig both of the actors, George Clooney and Julia Roberts. I'll probably end up uh, watching this. I will probably end up buying it um, if it hasn't already hit uh, Apple iTunes. I don't go to movie theaters anymore. I think that it is a DOA. Regardless of the meme stock driving messaging, I think that movie theaters are done for. Um, at any rate, but that's just me. You know, a lot of when I was younger, I used to go to movie theaters all the time. I had a job in a movie theater. Um, I had friends that worked in movie theaters. I used to build the films the night before and get to watch the movies um, and then spend the weekend busting my hump cleaning movie theaters and selling tickets and, you know, hanging out with uh, fellow young people. Um, but nowadays, it's all an uphill battle to get to a movie theater and neighborhoods are kind of poo and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's just 
it's just the way it is. Um, so parents of kids, build a home theater in your basement as, if you can and invite friends of your kids and friend, uh, the, the kids of your friends to come over and watch a movie and just throw it on your, um, your TV. They're pretty inexpensive nowadays too. If you have to save up, save up. It is what it is. Obviously not everybody has the ability to do it, but you know, we make our sacrifices where we can. At any rate, yeah, I'm not buying my kegerator anytime soon. That's it from Omtown. This has been the Omtown Daily News Show uh, for October 23rd, 2022. Remember, go over to Waffleton Adventure Company. It is a stream from, that just watches my sand table uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and streams music at the same time. I'm going to be working on its exposure. It seems kind of bright right now. <coughs> I might have to upgrade the camera as well. So it might be down. Um, heck, I might replay something, but I'll flag it as replay. Why am I telling you all of this? I don't know. It's tough being mayor of a uh, electron-powered town in virtual space. I'll see you tomorrow, 6 p.m. Bye-bye.